Welcome to the Prairie City United Methodist Church Sermon Podcast. Here's the latest message from Pastor John Bailey. Thank you so much for being here tonight and worshiping with us tonight. As we worship and look at the scriptures, I want us to think about a few things. What does it mean to be shepherd? What does it mean to be a great shepherd? What does it mean shepherd? To be shepherd, as in the act of being shepherd. (laughs) And then also, what does it mean to be in worship? All right. And so the scriptures we have this evening talk about what it means to be in the midst of uh, David's reign as he starts it out. Okay. And we see, as we look at it, that we've gone through the line from Ruth all the way to David, and we've gone through some different rulers and some different kingdoms. And we've seen that there's some, been some rising and some falling within the arc, the story arc of where God's promises are put out into the world. And if you remember last week, as we talked about Ruth, I said, we're moving from this this season of talking about the promises, the two promises, remember them? One is that you will have more offspring, more people in your line than the stars in the heavens that you can count or the sands in the sea that you can count. Remember that? And then the second promise is, is that you will have your own land. Well, they've come through uh, with all the different generations and they finally have this land, but they're still not happy, right? They're still not in a place where they feel like they can find the presence of God with them. And there's all sorts of things that happen along the way for them to get there. And they're split. They're split as the people of God, as the nation of Israel. They're split between the north and the south and the different tribes that are there. And we see that in this, as it gives us, is in 1 Samuel, that you have Samuel and Saul that are introduced as major characters in the character arc as kings throughout that process. And the thing that we need to remember when we see this is that we're looking for somebody that isn't just an earthly ruler, not just somebody that we've seen that is able to acquire land by force and acquire things by force, but really what the people of God are yearning for is a great shepherd that will walk beside them in the midst of these promises to find God's presence in the world around them and find that abundance, that promise of land of milk and honey, the abundance that brings joy into their everyday lives. And so we think about what it means to have this King. And we see that David, as Saul was before him, David starts out as a, as a, as a, as a humble person on a farm. And then he's a harpist and he's got this great job as a harpist. And he is, uh, his music is so great that it says it relieves all being the rule. His Goliath, who than life, he gained, he is appointed by Saul to be a high ranking um, officer within his, within his army. And through that, David becomes Saul's son-in-law and was loved by both Saul's daughter, Micah, and his son, Jonathan, Mary's son, uh, Saul's daughter, and has a very special relationship with Saul's son, Jonathan. Jonathan and David are deeply connected and there's a shift that takes place. Again, as I said last week, as we look at these scriptures about what it means to move from promise, we're moving now to what it means to be faithless 
and unfaithless. What it means to be faithless and unfaithless. You might be hearing that and saying, John, I think you have it wrong. What you really mean is faithful and unfaithful. No, we're turning that on its head. Because we realize that the people within these books of the Bible are not perfect. Perfect. More often than not, they are caught as faithless. And then they have those great moments when they see what it means to be unfaithless. To be in the presence of God. And Saul has that shift as he takes in David and he finds favor with him. And then his daughter gets married to him. And then his son is a special relationship. And then all of a sudden we see that Saul becomes jealous. And this is at the end of first Samuel. And he has a dogged pursuit of the death of David. And somehow, even in the midst of that, through the many events that David goes through, without too many scratches, he's still, David's still in the midst of the divide between him and Saul, he finds respect and love for Saul to the point, as the video says, that he laments and weeps at the death of Saul. The two nations, the north and the south, are divided through all of this And then we see the culmination of David's rise from a shepherd boy to a shepherding king. Hear that? From a shepherd boy to a shepherding king in verse 3 of chapter 5. Verse 3 of chapter 5. David plays a special role within the Old Testament and even moving into the New Testament. Believe it or not, David is named and called out more often than any other character in the Old Testament. He's named more than 1,100 times within the Old Testament. More than Moses, more than Abraham, more than any of the prophets, David has a special relationship with the direction and the understanding of what it means to be a follower of God. And there seems to be this thing that's placed upon it because he moves from that shepherding boy to a shepherding king. What it means to walk beside, right? He's different. He's different. He's distinctly different than the rulers of the day, than the rulers of today, than the people around that try to acquire power through any means possible. But here's the beauty of it is the beauty of this is, is that David is flawed. He's deeply flawed. He sees women across the way bathing, right? You've heard these stories. This happens in chapter seven. He makes bad decisions, right? He lusts after them lusts after her and he sleeps with her. And then he tries, when the husband comes back, he tries to hide it. And then he eventually has the husband put to the front line, which some people would say was murder. And then he has, he has his son who goes and has a bad relationship and leads, uh, cheats and lies. And he tries to cover it up. And then he has another son who goes and has a relationship with a woman that is forced. And again, he covers it up. And over and over, we can see that David is deeply flawed. 
He is not the example of what we should do as a good ruler, but here's what he does well. He's concerned with putting God at the center, God at the center of the nation of Israel. He shepherds them within this. And as we think about what it means to have this shepherding relationship, as it starts out, it says that he brings them together and in all of them, they're together. All the nations are together and they say to David, listen, we are your very own flesh and bone. In the past, when Saul ruled over us, you were the one who led Israel out of war and back. What's more, the Lord told you, you will shepherd my people, Israel, and you will be Israel's leader. And somehow through the midst of this shepherding of God's people, he unites them in one, the north and the south. And this is a crucial point within the relationship between God and his people is because God is at the center that they are united. I think this speaks very deeply to our world today that what it means is we need somebody to shepherd us in the midst of this. We need to be, we need to be able to be brought into bringing God in the center of all we do and all we are. And so you could look at this scripture and you could look at the scriptures that come before. And there's a lot of ideology and a lot of political talk. And there's a lot of things that go on to further the power of what's here on earth. But something that happens in the midst of what David's reign is as he shepherds, he says he cuts into the middle of it. And he says, it's not about power here on earth. It's about power that God can bring God's own kingdom, God's own kingdom. Not my kingdom, but God's own kingdom here on earth. Putting it, God, at the center of all we do. And this shepherding and this uniting is so essential to what it means to be a shepherd. But we also know that this shepherd is flawed. And so we see the house of David being, David being left, lifted up through the rest of the scriptures on into the New Testament. Okay, right? Remember? And we say that even in the New Testament, it points out that through the stump, that David's line raises this branch. And this branch will bring us life. And this branch, Jesus will be the good shepherd because there's great difference between Jesus and David where David put God at the center of everything in life, but made bad moral decisions. He was, he was, he was flawed. We then get the good shepherd who comes into the midst of it, who has perfect moral and perfect ethic because he's not only human, but he's divine, fully human and fully divine. So that the shepherd that is good then becomes the very essential thing we need for our very salvation. And so there we go. In verse in chapter five, as we come into chapter six, as we think about what it means for David to put to put at the very center of things, God's presence. One of the first things that David does, 
as he unites them, as he takes the Ark of the Covenant. Have you heard of the Ark of the Covenant before? Probably. You got Indiana Jones, right? What a, what a movie there. The Ark of the Covenant. You got the stories of the, the chalice that the Knights Templar go after, and some people link that to the Ark of the Covenant they're going after. And the Ark of the Covenant traveled with them everywhere they went. And the Ark of the Covenant was seen to be the very embodiment of God. This would be almost incarnational if the Ark of the Covenant was flesh and bone, but it is not flesh and bone, but it is physical. So it is not the incarnation of God, but it is the presence and the symbolism and the understanding of the presence of God within this world, they believed. And here's the beauty of that. In the midst of the Ark of the Covenant, it says in the scripture that what was contained in the Ark of the Covenant was not a statue. It was not a statue or, or something golden or something. It was the word of God that was believed that was in there. That the word of God was so powerful. The word of God there in the Ark of the Covenant represented who God was in the world, creation and all that it is. They travel this around. And in fact, at one point, the Philistines, they steal this. They steal it. And it says that they have bad luck for the whole time and everywhere it goes with them. And they say, we're going to get rid of this. And so it gets back to the Israelites. And David takes this ark through dancing and celebration and passion and puts it in the house of the Lord. So what I want us to think about here is this Ark of the Covenant being brought in through this, it, and it says it in a way that almost we would be ashamed of the, the dancing that went on. There was so much from this ruler that it would make us feel a little embarrassed. But his passion was so much that he did not care about embarrassment. He cared about glorifying and praising and lifting up and putting it at the center of all things, God's presence. And so he puts it in the temple, right? And so the Ark of the Covenant, as it traveled, it was the presence of God among them, but it would be shifting everywhere they went, right? And so the Ark of the Covenant was so powerful that some people say it was almost like you would think of a power plant, a nuclear power plant, that it was so powerful that you had to equip yourself and put yourself in the right way before you came near it or touched it, or you'd get zapped and hurt and you wouldn't be able to take it because the power of that as human beings, we were not ready for yet. Just like if you went into a nuclear power plant, I don't know what the suits are called, but they make you put on that alien suit, right? And it keeps out the nuclear waves from us. I'm not a scientist. So we don't get zapped by it. And in fact, the chapter that we didn't read, there was a guy that wanted to, to examine the ark and he got too close of it. He just wanted to study it, got too close of it and he didn't prepare himself. The presence of God is powerful. It's powerful. It can come in and change everything. 
everything, to be shepherded into this power. So the second thing I want us to talk about today, as we think about this being brought, God's chest, God's ark, into the assembly of the Israelites and brought into the temples, I want us to think about what it means to be in worship in that moment. When I graduated high school and I moved away from uh, my father's church and I loved to listen to my dad preach, it was just a joy for me. And I didn't realize how much I loved to listen to it until I was out and I had to find my own church. I grew up my whole life with my dad being a preacher, right? And there's some good and some bad with that. I, you know, I didn't grow up not knowing the church. I always grew up knowing the church. Sometimes I wondered what it would have been like not to know the church because I would have had to come to it on my own. But I came up in the church. And when I moved away and I had to find my own church, I went through a struggle because my church was so closely tied to my family and closely tied to my identity as a son, as a brother, my identity as a PK, a pastor's kid as a kid that would that had a lot of parents within the sanctuary right and i moved away and i had decisions to make do i go to church do i not go to church do i sleep in on sundays do i do i find a a church that has a a lot of clapping and i and i and i kept from going to church for a little while because I didn't know how to navigate those waters because I had never learned it. And I remember I came to this point where I felt like I missed it because I did not have God at the center of everything I did anymore. And I would turn on the TV. And I remember this one time turning on the TV that I came across this very uh, entertaining, flamboyant, African-American preacher. His name is T.D. Jakes. You guys ever heard of T.D. Jakes? Now, theologically now, I might be able to say, you know, I see things a little bit differently, but at the time, I saw him dancing across the stage and almost doing backflips. And I thought to myself, whoa, I have never seen that before. Never seen that before in any of the churches I was at and grew up in. I became attracted to it. And I started listening to him more and I would watch him more often. I knew when he was on and I would turn on the TV and watch it. And, and it was always on very late at night when I would get off work and I would turn on the TV and I can't even remember the name of the channel, but I remember it was on late at night and I'd watch it as I was winding down to go to bed, getting off work late. And there was something so entertaining about it. Eventually, I found a church in the area that was so entertaining. I went to it and, and I started to think that, well, what's the difference between this and the worship that I grew up with? What is the true worship? What does it mean to worship? What does it mean to be in worship? And so for today, I thought we would take a look at what the word worship means. All right. And so if you look at the screens in front of you, this is the root of the word worship. I was surprised to find that the word worship was first used in 1300 common era. It was not there before. It comes from a middle English word of worth sheep or an old English word before that word crip. 
script. To name as worthy, honorable, to dignify, to glorify, to make renowned distinction. Renowned distinction. Isn't that interesting? As we think about what this means in our lives, I think that there's something to be said about David's worship, his passion, his ability to dance, to be exuberant. As the psalmist says, remember this? Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise God in his fortress, the sky. Praise God in his mighty acts. Praise God as suits his incredible greatness. Praise God with the blast of the ram's horn. Praise God with the lute and the lyre. Praise God with the drum and the dance. Praise God with strings and pipe with organs and guitars and bass and drums. Praise God with loud cymbals, with bells played by bell choirs. Praise God with clashing cymbals. Let every living thing praise the Lord. What is worship? The Grand Weaver, in the book, The Grand Weaver, Rave Zechariah says that worship is praise, it is teaching, it is prayer, it is giving. It is to praise God. It is to learn more what God is about. It's to lift up the prayers of what God has put on our hearts and our desire for others in a world to be made whole. It is the ability for us to glorify God's generosity in our lives by being generous ourselves. What is worship? The Archbishop William Temple, who was in the mid 1800s, has a definition of worship, the submission of all our nature to God, quickening our consciousness by his holiness, nurturing our mind by his truth, purifying our imagination by his beauty, opening our, the heart by God's love, submission of our will to his purpose. All of this gathered up in adoration is the greatest expression of which we are capable. There is unity in diversity, finding worship to bind the diversity of our inclinations of your heart. What is worship? Worship is the ability in the midst of us coming together to allow God, the great shepherd, through prayer, through praise, through giving, through all that we are, allowing God to focus us in, to bring us together so we may find greater meaning in here, we might find greater meaning in the world around us. What is worship? I went through a time where I thought it was about entertainment. I went through a time where I thought it was about the stirring of my own heart. 
I think what is so unique about David's message for today is about putting God at the center of everything. That when we allow God's meaning to be put at the center of everything, that as we go out into the world, everything starts to make a little bit more sense. Not because we are perfect, not because we have all the answers, not because we are able to do everything morally correct, but because God works through us and in us in that time of worship. And somehow in the midst of that, it's not about our own kingdom being made perfect and amplifying our own power, but it's about God's kingdom being made perfect here in us and through us for the world around us. The great shepherd. So what I would say in the midst of this, as we think about what it means for the Ark of the Covenant, which then later we say was adopted and the spirit of God was made incarnated the incarnation of God in human form, fully human and fully divine, the presence of God made made known through the baby of Jesus, the grown man of Jesus, the example of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the death of Jesus. And most importantly, here it is, the resurrection of Jesus. That somehow that ark that used to travel around with their camp went into a singular place and now Air, our very heart is conformed to the presence of God here in worship, here in worship together, communally as a congregation, we are formed into what is worthy as we declare what is worthy and holy in our lives. What I want us to think about as we leave here today is what it means to worship and put God at the center of everything we do. And maybe you have the passion of David to dance and to do backflips and to sing and to praise. Maybe you have the gift of lute and lyre, guitar and cymbal and drum or whatever it is, but let us not be afraid. Let us not be afraid or embarrassed to put God at the center of everything Praise God in everything we do, every way we do, and everywhere we are. Go out into the world, building God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Prairie City United Methodist Church Sermon Podcast. If you enjoyed the message you just heard, feel free to share it with a friend. And if you're ever in the Prairie City, Iowa area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. They're held every Saturday night at 6 and Sunday mornings at 9. For directions or to learn more about the church, go to facebook.com slash PCIowaUMC. That's facebook.com slash PCIowaUMC. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.